We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Fielding the 68, Field of 68's Bracket Show, presented by Bet Rivers. I am your host for the evening, Kai McEwen, with the three-man weave. Here with me today are two of the best bracketologists in the entire universe, Brad Wachtel and Rocco Miller. We're going to talk about the bracket. We're going to break down the bubbles. We're going to talk about one seeds. We're going to answer your questions in the chat as they come up. And we're going to do some quick hitters on some teams throughout the country uh, the, the most intriguing ones, we'll say. Uh, first of all, fellas, how are you? Rocco, how you doing out there? Doing great. Good to be back with you, Kai. How you doing? Yes, I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. Brad, how about you? Doing well, Kai. I hope you're doing well as, as well. Good. Well, let's start off the show with uh, a question on everybody's mind, the, the mainstream media, if you will. We're talking about the Blue Bloods, North Carolina, Kentucky. Are they going to be in Dayton? Your thoughts, Brad, on, on the two, uh, uh, well, two of the most famous schools in the country? I mean, there's, there's definitely a possibility right now if the season ended today. I think Kentucky is in Dayton. Um, and obviously, we'll get to our, our last four in, first four out later. Um, I think that both teams do have opportunities, especially North Carolina, to uh, move, the, move the needle quite a bit and really get up the seed line. Um, so do I think they're going to end up in Dayton when it's all said and done? Probably not. Um, but if the season ended today, sure, that's a place both teams would likely land if they got in. Rocco? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with Brad. And I'll, I'll add this. You know, I think uh, from this point forward, you know, I, I do have one of these teams in. I have one of these teams out, but they're both first four on each side. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the, you have to look at the remaining schedule to accurately um, – answer a question like, will they specifically land in Dayton? I I think both of them have ample opportunity to avoid Dayton if they play well. Um, You look at Kentucky's remaining games, they get a chance to go uh, at Arkansas, at Mississippi State, at Florida, which could really beef up their road resume if they do well in those three. And then they also get big-time home games with Auburn and Tennessee, both clearly tournament teams, Tennessee being an elite opportunity uh, and a chance to sweep Mm -hmm. the balls. Uh, And then you look at North Carolina, not as uh, sexy of opportunities, but they do have um, the big ones at home and Carolina has been awesome at home. The only losses to pit by one, mm. every other game they've won and they upcoming, they get their biggest games, Duke, Miami, Virginia, the big three in the ACC all come into the Dean dome. Um, so if Carolina handles their business 
uh, and those three, I think they certainly find a way in. Uh, they do have some work to do on the road as well. They barely done anything on the road, really. Um, five and eight on the year um, in, in, a, in a way neutral contest. Um, and their last big ones at NC State, a team they beat at home already. So if they can sweep them, that certainly helps their chances of getting in in general. Uh, and then, of course, they don't want to stub their toe at Florida State or at Notre Dame. So, um, again, for each team, I think there's so much opportunity. Chances of landing in Dayton, they're, they're going to have to really thread the needle, like maybe yeah. win one or two of those big ones and then stub their toe somewhere else. Um, but without a threading the needle scenario, I don't think they land there. I'd like to hear that a little pushback on what everybody is saying. Now, of course, we've seen teams in Dayton do pretty well in the NCAA tournament, right? A team has made the oh, yeah. Sweet 16, I believe, every single year from, from Dayton. Uh, pretty impressive track record so far there. Uh, another question to start off the show here. What's the most difficult part when putting together the bracket? Is it, for instance, the Big 12 having so many teams in a similar seed range that you kind of have to uh, flex, we'll say, they're the true seed, Brad? Yeah, I think it's the Big 12. I think it's also the Big 10, actually. Um, Big 10. The Big 12 twos and three seeds, you have so many teams on both of those lines, and it just seems like every single you know, week they're, they're kind of like changing spots, but that conference is so strong that they're going to end up with a ton of teams on those two lines. Um, big 10, on the other hand, I find a little difficulty when you're seeding them on the eight, nine line, uh, because you know, while that conference top to bottom is not as good as the big 12, it's, it's pretty darn close. Um, but a lot of their teams are, are good teams. I wouldn't call them great teams. And they're all kind of battling out for, uh, you know, that eight, nine range. So you want to make sure that they're not being paired up against each other. You also want to make sure that they're not being matched up with uh, in Purdue's region, of course. Let's start off with this really quick. Also uh, in the chat, a question from Bram, could Gonzaga end up, excuse me, could St. Mary's end up in the West region over Gonzaga and Rocco that just comes down to, well, who's going to be seated higher Gonzaga or St. Mary's. Yeah. What are your thoughts there? I mean, possible, right? I assume. Yeah, it's, cer it's certainly still possible. Like today I have Gonzaga 14th on my seed list, St. Mary's 18th. Um, mm -hmm. So they're within four spots of each other. Obviously a really good opportunity, uh, a really good chance that they'll play twice. St. Mary's wins in the kennel. Chances are pretty good. They're going to, mm -hmm. that'll be enough to supersede the Zags. We'll see uh, because, you know, the, neither one of them get it outside of the non-league, uh, get a ton of chances within the WCC to play other tournament teams. So if you beat one or the other on the road, and, of course, that would give St. Mary's a compelling sweep over Gonzaga. Yeah. Um, uh, good chance they land higher. Now, in terms of bracketing that, uh, the West is likely to only to take one, and then you'll take the second WCC and put them maybe in Kansas City or Louisville, but we'll see how yeah. that plays out. Yep. Well, let's get down to the brass tacks, the essentials of the show. We're going to start off with our one seeds here. And we have a consensus amongst the fellows here, but uh, we have a little bit different order between Rocco and Brad, so we're going to – Shoot the uh, the the consensus top seeds on the board right now. Got Purdue, Alabama, Houston, and Arizona. Now, once again, Brad and Rocco have these in different orders. Let's start off with Brad. Tell us your order. Tell us why you, you broke it down the way you did. So my order is Purdue, Alabama, Arizona, Houston. And, and really, I think Purdue and Alabama are the top two, and I think everybody will tell you that right now. Um, but with Houston and Arizona, for me, Arizona being 5-0 against high quadrant one teams is, is very, very significant. Um, it's not something that any other team in the country has on their resume. Even though they do have a quad three loss, Houston also has a quad three loss. 
Uh, and I think they play in a better conference, uh, top to bottom, even though the bottom of the Pac-12 isn't particularly good. Uh, you could make the argument that that the AAC, where Houston is, you know, there's only a couple teams that are in play for a bid. Um, so I, I do feel like Arizona's plays in a tougher league and they have the better, higher end wins. So in my mind, that gives them the slight edge over Houston. Rocco, what's your order? I actually have the same order as Brad, Purdue, oh, ba- oh. Bama, Zona, and Houston. Uh, and I'll say, yeah, and I'll just to piggyback on what Brad was saying about Arizona, uh, the 5-1-A wins clearly stand out the most in, on the board right now of any at-large or auto-bid candidate. Um, I, th- I think, winning, you know, it's as simple as winning the Maui Classic. That, and not only do they play in a better league than Houston, but they played in a much better MTE. Houston basically hosted their own where they played Texas Southern and, and Oral Roberts. Yep. Good job getting Oral. Uh, obviously, that's not a, not a walk in the park this season. But um, Arizona picked up. Their Indi- uh, sorry, they picked up their San Diego State and Creighton wins, which look awesome right now. They also picked up an Indiana win in Vegas on a, uh, you know, a special neutral court game on a Saturday in December. So Arizona, uh, to me, doing that to their schedule, knowing that the Pac-12 might only have four or five strong teams at best, um, was smart. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm all about scheduling, and and they deserve yep. credit for that because, you know, now that we're in the the bulk of the Pac-12 and they stub their toe against Oregon, they stub their toe against Wazoo at home. Kind of surprisingly, uh, they've got the insurance to back that up. It's basically an insurance policy to play all those games and win all those games in November and December. Man, back-to-back one seeds for Tommy Lloyd in his first two years at Arizona. What a story that would be. Fantastic hire. Fantastic hire down there in Tucson. All right, bubble talk. Let's get into the nitty-gritty here. Everyone's favorite subject, at least mine. Uh, first, excuse me, last four in is where we're going to start off with this one. Going to go to Rocco first. Hit me with your last four teams in the field as of today. Yeah, so as of today, it shook out a little differently than maybe I anticipated when I woke up today, which is the beauty of doing the process. Um, so the last four uh, starts with USC. Took a blowout loss last night at Oregon. Uh, I think they lost by 18. And uh, not, not that that's super significant. Obviously, it hurts their power numbers. Um, but you, you, you kind of do a reassessment after a game like that. You should reassess all the time regardless. But, but I think you, USC, you look at their six opportunities against the field, they're two and four. Um, so it's not as convincing. The thing that helps USC get in is they have that UCLA win, which is an elite win. Uh, but you go into the top two A quads, which I think is a good way to measure the bubble candidates. And they're still four and six. Um, you have to go all the way through the end of Q2 where they, they, kind of uh, backloaded three uh, quad 2B level wins to get to seven and six over those 2B. And now you've got a loss to Florida Gulf Coast that happened on, I think, opening night. Um, that's fallen all the way down to Q4 because Gulf Coast is struggling in the A-Sun a little bit. Um, so, so all of that, you know, kind of makes you believe. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying my best to stay out of my own head. I'm trying to imagine a 12 person conversation about these teams. So I think some people might like a lot of USC but there definitely is some arguments against them. And I think, yeah. you know, um, I, I actually compared them to Oklahoma state for this first four spot. And I, I like Oklahoma state just a little bit more because they have double the amount of quad one wins, the types of teams they are beating in the big 12, give you a little bit more evidence than what you have with USC, especially after a questionable blowout loss yesterday on top of some other questionable results. Um, so that's, that's the USC story. I'll, I'll go a little faster here. My next team after USC is Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got the yo-yo going on. 
you know, every time they lose, they're back in the first four out. When they win, they come back over. And it seems like that's been going on for a couple of weeks. Uh, but the Badgers in general, you know, right now they've got the wins in terms of uh, umph on the road. They won at Marquette. They won at Iowa. They've got USC in a neutral, who now they're being compared against. Um, so that certainly helps. And, and, of course, the Maryland home win helps, too. Um, they're, they're at that 9-9 nine and nine mark across the top three quads. They're stretching as far as they can get to get to 500. Uh, but, but I'll count that. Once they go below 500 in the top three, I have a hard time putting them in. Um, just in general, that seems to shift the weight back to, to, to being out. Um, but you also look at, you know, they just picked up an Ohio State road win. That now gives them a fourth win over the top two quads on true road games. So Marquette, Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, true road wins. That really stands out in the bubble picture. Um, and the only bad loss is home to Wake Forest, which is, isn't really that bad. Wake, Wake's almost in the bubble themselves. So um, I'm good with Wisconsin at this point. Uh, the next team in terms of last four in um, are, is going to be Boise State. Might surprise some. Um, I do think in general Boise um, is in a good spot to get selected. You know, their net's still 27. They've got pretty good predictive metrics across the board. But you look at the resume itself and, um, you know, you get a little bit of heartburn, Kai, because the only two wins against the field is a, is a game in the consolation bracket against Texas A&M, a fellow bubble team, mm -hmm. and then a home win over Nevada. Outside of that, there's really no substance against the field. And, Thanks. you're all, you know, you're also looking at a team that has a quad four loss at home to South Dakota State. Um, and, you know, uh, their best road wins are UNLV and SLU. Decent road games, but they don't have that, like, tournament caliber road win. This feels very Dayton to me right now. So, Boise State's going to Dayton. And then on the uh, the last team in, it is Kentucky, a team we've talked about quite a bit. And I'm sure there's some chat action going on for the Wildcats. Uh, but I do think Kentucky is still very selectable. Uh, obviously, the win at Tennessee carries the water. Uh, but they also have a home win against Texas A&M, a team they're directly being compared against in this exercise right now and in in the top two quads you know they only go one and seven in the first quad but they get to seven and seven after quad two uh mm. putting all that together then they get to ten and seven after three and they do have three road wins um albeit probably not sexy winning at vandy or Ole miss it matters because you start to compare them to teams that don't have that many uh road wins right. in the ball. so so uh and, and the overall quality metrics at 34 average and a 44 resume average that kind of waits out to like, you know, we should probably find a, a spot for the Wildcats. Love it. Very good, Rocco. Brad, your last four in. Let's hit it. Yeah, so first of all, you have, Rocco, you have USC and Boise State in your last four in. They're actually right above the cut line of the last four in for me. So I have, I have okay. no issues with you having them there. Uh, but my last four in, so I have Wisconsin, I have Memphis, Kentucky, and I have Clemson. So as you touched on with Wisconsin, they do have a poor net of 72. We've seen a couple teams get in to the NCAA tournament with a net in the 70s. Happened last year with Rutgers. Uh, ended up playing in Dayton. Uh, Wisconsin does have five Q1 wins. And when you compare that against all other teams that are on the bubble, they're better. Um, and they're in, I'm not going to say that they're in good shape, but they have opportunities in the Big Ten. So I feel like they're one of those teams, you know, aside from, you know, unlike mid-majors, they kind of control their own destiny the rest of the way. Uh, then uh, an interesting one for me was Memphis. Um, had them relatively safely in the field a couple of weeks ago, and they, they lost a game, and, you know, their, their metrics are, are pretty solid, uh, but their only win, only quality win, is against Auburn on a neutral court, um, which is a good win, 
how good of a win is that? Not really sure because Auburn is is dropping, and Auburn is a team that is kind of, you know, they're getting they're in good shape based on their metrics, but they don't have a ton of quality wins. Um, uh, Memphis is five and five against Q one and two um, opponents, which is pretty good compared to other bubble teams. But for me, the reason why I still kept Memphis in the field was due to their their strength of record, which is thirty three. And if you go back to last year. If you were a top 40, you had a top 40 strength of record, you were in the field unless you were Texas A&M, who hmm. by a lot of accounts and a lot of people kind of got screwed out of a bit. Um, yeah. So that that kind of kept them in play uh, for a bit at the moment. Um, but they're, you know, they're playing with fire right now. Uh, next, uh, as you mentioned, Kentucky, uh, seven and seven, Q1 and two is, is still pretty good. The win over Tennessee is very good, but... Tennessee's lost a couple games lately. Maybe it's not carrying as much weight as it did. They're going to need to pick it up quickly. Um, and then finally, Clemson. So I have Clemson in the field. They had been my auto bid uh, for a while, and they finally are not in first place. Uh, so they do have a terrible net, um, but they are three and two against quadrant one opponents. They're seven and three against quadrant one and two opponents. And even though they have two really bad losses, uh, so does a team like Texas A&M, who people have in right now. Um, and I feel like when your numbers are that good against Q1 and 2, not only are you going to be in the field, but you are going to be destined for dating. It's funny. I think the perception, at least in the public, for my lens here is Wisconsin's in the field and, Clems- and they're ahead of Clemson, for instance. Uh, I think that would surprise a lot of people. But you look at those Q1 wins for Wisconsin. Yeah, they, they did a lot of that in the early uh, part of the season, but still counts and still very impressive. That Marquette win is aging uh, beautifully uh, uh, this season. So, yep, that's where it stands right now. Uh, we can flash up real quick the consensus last four in for the field of 68, the, the four bracketologists on our team, Memphis, Kentucky, Clemson, and Wisconsin. So similar faces that we just went through with Rocco and Brad. Now let's talk first four out, the four teams that are right on the cut line for you guys that didn't quite make the field, but are within striking distance, we'll say. Brad, you can start this time. What do you got? Yeah, first of all, I have uh, North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, one and eight, quadrant one, six and nine, quadrant one and two. They only have one win over an at-large team, and that came at home against NC State. Wow. So really, who have you beaten? Um and especially you're comparing teams, you're trying to pick at straws, figure out who is getting into the field. Who have you beaten? You, you don't just get in based on your metrics. So right now, North Carolina has not beaten anybody significantly. The great part for them is, as we mentioned earlier, they get Clemson, Miami, Virginia, and Duke all at home, as well as NC State on the road. So there are a ton of opportunities for them to right the ship, get back in the field, and work their way back up to you know an 8-9 seed where they did last year and, you know, go to the national championship. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, Next I have Oregon who has been really moving up the board of late Um, 50 net four and six Q1, which is solid eight and eight Q1 and two 36 non-conference strength of schedule. They own wins over USC, Arizona, Nevada, and they won at Arizona state. Who's another team that is in my next four out. Um, they have a critical game tomorrow against UCLA, a win. They win that game. For me, they're in the field. Uh, so they, they really have come on strong of late. Uh, then I have Texas A&M, who now has two Q4 losses. 
Um, they did beat Auburn twice. And as we mentioned earlier, how good of a win is Auburn? They did win at Auburn, which is nice. I think they're, they're mm-hmm. close. Um, but if you're going to have two Q4 losses, something, something needs to stand out on their resume. And there's nothing there right now for me. Uh, and then finally, I have Seton Hall, who has a strong non-conference strength schedule, missed a huge opportunity against Creighton at home mm-hmm. this week. Um, but they do have wins at Rutgers. They beat UConn, beat fellow bubble Memphis on neutral court. Um, so they're they're hanging. They're right there. And they have the opportunities in Big East play down the stretch. Uh, you just got to take advantage of them. Love it. Dagan, shout out Seton Hall, our producer Dagan. Congratulations on your Pirates making the first four out. Rocco, who is your first four out? Yeah, first four out for me, Kai. I'll kick it off with Texas A&M, a team that Brad just talked about. Um, yeah, and I think I think this is an example where if they had more of a variety pack, it'd be better than the sweep over Auburn. Um, you know, if they could just mix in even a team at Auburn's level, uh, just to show that they beat a third team, it might look a little bit better optically. Um, I don't know how committee members exactly would interpret that. That's how I tend to digest it. Uh, but they're three and four, and there's seven opportunities against field teams. Obviously, playing much better in SEC play than they did in the uh, non-conference portion of the schedule. Uh, but the the overall body of work tells you uh, they're only two and four uh, in in the quad one opportunities. Uh, they get all the way to quad three. They're nine and five, which looks great until you look at quad four, which uh, now all of a sudden the Aggies have two losses. I tweeted about this earlier. Murray State takes a 24-point loss on Tuesday night, yeah. and that knocks that that loss from Q3 to Q4. For now, Murray State could play well and get that back to Q3. I don't think it really matters that much. I think when you're looking at the bubble in this much detail, you just know, it's hey, it's a bad loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does look kind of funny to have a two-loss Q4 team almost in the field, um, which brings me to my next team who is not going to show up on the screen. Uh, this is my auto bid winner from the ACC, the Clemson Tigers. Uh, so they are listed now under the auto bids. I would have them second out uh, if they were in the at-large pool based on where they stand today. Again, another team with two losses in Q4. I think, um, you know, the, the losses right now are, are just a little bit outweighing the wins for the Tigers. Uh, I know we've talked about them already a little bit, so I won't elaborate, and they're not in the first four out technically. Um, the next team is North Carolina, uh, much to uh, Brad's point. Their only win against the field is a home NC State win. They've been a terrific home team, as I mentioned earlier. That loss to Pitt kind of allows you to poke holes at that. But um, they do have a road win at Syracuse, which matters to a degree. It's in the top two quadrants. It's the only one they got. Um, In in the quadrant game, top three quads, they're 10 and 9. So within that, you know, if all other bubble teams fell apart, you could pick North Carolina and not not feel horrible about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in general, to complete their profile, they need to pick up a couple more road wins, as mentioned before, and they've got three massive home games. Give me at least two of those three wins, and the heels should be fine. And I actually did go back and, and look at YouTube from last year. Uh, I think on this exact episode, maybe around the same week, we had North Carolina in the first four out. So don't worry, heels fans. This just means you're going <laughs> back to the, uh, to, the, to the Final Four national title game. Yeah. Uh, the next team is Mississippi State, uh, and Mississippi State is coming on a little bit stronger got dealt a crazy hand in sec scheduling a totally front-loaded schedule with all murderous row they go they go one and eight in those first nine games guy and uh but you know now they're playing better they got lucky a little bit with tcu not having miles having him go down in the first four minutes of the game totally messed up the horn frog strategy but they uh get that win it still shows up and you know who knows maybe certain committee members will forget about that um uh, they got a neutral win against marquette which is by far their strongest 
a game where Marquette didn't even get a second chance point, not even one. Uh, so that just shows you Mississippi State is uh, <laughs> got the perfect nickname in Bulldogs this season. Hmm. So um, anyway, they 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 have some nice things to their resume. They're perfect. They're very even eight and eight across those top three quads. Here's my biggest problem with the Bulldogs: no road wins in the top two quads at all, uh, hmm. and that's really hard to select. Uh, the metrics are all okay enough to select, but that's, I think, their biggest hole. So you look at the remaining road games, uh, Kai, you've got Arkansas, huge opportunity tomorrow. If they win that, everything changes. Uh, they also get some supplemental opportunities uh, with Ole Miss on the road and Vandy to finish the year on the road. And then another big one against your Missouri Tigers. Uh, yeah. that's, coming, that's coming up on. In Won't months, happen. So. Won't happen. Sorry, Miss State. Yeah, you're out of luck on that game. Yeah, sorry, Miss State. Uh, <laughs> and then our fourth and final team, um, and this is uh, one of in common with Brad, I have the Oregon Ducks as well. Um, you look at the wins now with Arizona, USC, and Nevada all in their backyard at home. Those are nice. Um, you would like to see them get a road win against the field. Unfortunately for the Ducks, that's impossible. Um, after tomorrow's game against UCLA, they have no games left against tournament teams, uh, which puts the paramount even higher on – Tomorrow's game against the Bruins, very, very important. Uh, the remaining schedule after that are road trips to the Washington schools, a road trip to their neighbor, the Beavers, which won't move the needle, even though they'll get a full fight from the Beavs. Yeah. And uh, they'll play the Bay Area schools, which isn't uh, bringing enough to the table this year either. The, do, the thing I do like about the Ducks road resume is going to Utah and going to Arizona State, two really tough places to win. They got both of those. Mm -hmm. If I was you know, presenting to the committee as the West Coast representative, that would be how I started my presentation to talk about how difficult those places are to win, especially Utah. That's a very difficult place to win. Hmm. So I think there's a good story for Oregon, but I do think they're going to need that UCLA win tomorrow. All right, let's go consensus first four out from you guys and the other two bracketologists, the field of 68. Again, familiar faces here. Real quick, let's harp in or hone in on uh, North Carolina versus Clemson. This game's coming up. North Carolina's playing Clemson. Obviously, resumes are more than single game sample size. But if if one of those teams wins against the other, would it necessarily make you jump? Uh, for instance, Brad, UNC over Clemson. I forgot which which order you had. You had Clemson ahead of UNC. Would UNC jump over Clemson immediately after that game, or would it take a little bit more than that? Now, if UNC wins that game, it's it's really it's a Q two win. I mean, it's it's a potential win over a team that's in the field, a team they're competing against. But Clemson's resume is still overall better in my opinion um now if clemson were to win at north carolina that doesn't that does a lot for them because that's a yep. quadrant one win that adds to their already impressive numbers and that potentially could get them out of dating um so a much very important game for both teams north carolina obviously needs to pick up the quality wins um but clemson still needs to do work as well we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's go specific team hitters here. Going to sprinkle these in for the fellas, and then we'll hit some chat questions as well. i got a nice little list for you. Let's talk UConn really quick because Rob Douster loves UConn. He's a big dog in the field of 68 totem pole. If UConn goes cold, Rocco, to start Big East play, excuse me, to finish Big East play, let me rephrase. They started cold in Big East play. Now they have some really good wins. What is UConn's ceiling going forward? Say they go lose one game the rest of the way in the Big East. Ceiling seed wise, yeah. If they lose a game, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. It would probably be, be a two or a three. I think if they went out there, clear two. Um, the biggest game left is tomorrow against Creighton on the road. That will mean the most and move the the needle the most for their resume. Um, right now, they're my strongest four seed to that. Um, so if they win that game, they're probably almost for sure going to be a three on my Monday bracket. Um, so then you're just one seed line away. And down the stretch, you know they've got St. John's to Paul. Uh, got to make sure you get those wins. Uh, but you got two home games coming up right after Creighton with Seton Hall and Providence. Providence will continue to move the needle as they are a team in the field. We'll see what happens with Seton Hall, but that could also could be a team in the field theoretically. Uh, and then a, a tricky road game at the end at Villanova to finish the year. Um, but yeah, I think if UConn demonstrates a, a, a type of mean streak down the stretch, like we saw against Marquette the other night, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to be really hard to keep them off the two line. I think if they win all these games. Yeah, I don't want to see UConn as a four seed if I'm a one seed uh, in a particular right. region. That team's top gear is scary to me. Uh, Brad, let's go to you with Baylor. Uh, clearly trending upward. Does Baylor have a, a puncher's chance at a one seed? Yeah, I think they do. Um, Baylor still gets to play at TCU, at Kansas, at Kansas State. So all of those are going to boost up their already impressive resume. I currently have them as my top three seed, but they're – you know, they could be a two seed right now. So they're, they're getting close. And in that league with Baylor, with Kansas, with Texas, all of those teams have the opportunity to, to get onto that one line. Um, you know, especially because if, if Houston loses another game, they're not supposed to lose. They're going to get knocked off the one line and that's going to open it up for a big 12 team. Um, I think Kansas is probably the favorite to get it based on the mm-hmm. total number of Q1 and Q2 wins, um, but it's open to any of those big 12 teams. And I think Baylor with their impressive uh, metrics, uh, predictive metrics as well, um, absolutely, they can still get a one seed when it's all said and done. Well, Rocco, let's stay in the big 12 real quick. Oklahoma State, obviously a big rise uh, this past week. Would you mark the Cowboys, quote unquote, safe currently? And then going forward, what do you think they have to avoid to stay in the field? Yeah, currently it's it's always a snapshot in time, right, Kai? So like, yeah, they're 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 in there as my top eleven seed, but again, the, just the fifth team inside. I think they've done just enough, you know, compared to those first four, uh, those last four in I had to 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 be in. But but man, I think first thing you got to say about Oklahoma State is eighth best defense in the nation. They're just a joy to watch if you enjoy good defense like I do. Um, I, I I'm higher on them than most 
probably because of that. But I think the biggest concern now is Avery Anderson being out indefinitely. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a major concern. They didn't look like themselves in a very tight home win against Texas Tech last time out. So I think overall basketball-wise, that's the biggest concern. Bracketology-wise, you know, I think it's a 500 game they're playing. And uh, what I mean by that is no, no team that's been less than two games over 500 at the finish line has been selected. And they did take three non-league losses. So it's not like they were Iowa State last year where they went perfect. And right. that means I think the pressure's on for them to go at least three and four out of the seven, which sounds reasonable just on the surface. But then you dig into the, who the, the seven are against. Their last home games, let's just start there, are Kansas, Kansas State, and Baylor. <laughs> so so that's it's just the home games. <laughs> it's the big 12 yeah and then and then the uh the road games are also uh three three pretty big heavyweights iowa state on the road tcu on the road west virginia on the road who's hot and then a trip to lubbock so them getting three out of those seven is very iffy um and i think i, I did some scenarios because i saw this question coming earlier and i i looked at two and five and i, I could easily see them getting left out if they go two and five brad for you and we'll, we'll include Rocco here as well. Uh, what team currently not in your first four out do you think has the best chance at making a run to the tournament? Is it a team like Michigan, for instance, who we have not mentioned, who's won a couple of games recently, or is it somebody else? Michigan is definitely one. Another team is Arizona State. I'll touch on them too. But Michigan, if you take a look at their remaining schedule, Indiana, at Wisconsin, Michigan State, at Rutgers, Wisconsin, at Illinois, at Indiana, at Indiana. That's five Q1 opportunities wow. and two Q2s. So they control their own destiny. Um, yeah. They got off to an awful start. They have a Q4 loss on the resume, um, but they're they're getting close. They're creeping up. And if they can knock off some of these top-tier tournament teams, um, they, can, they can definitely find themselves in the field. Um, that's just the way their schedule works out. Um, and then, you know, the other team that I have is Arizona State, who – they're not quite there in my first, my last four, first four out, um, but they finished the season with at USC, at UCLA, and at Arizona. Hmm. So each one of those games are going to be brutally tough, but if they can win even one of those games, I think that could dramatically enhance their profile and, and put them above some other bubble teams. Rocco, is it those two teams for you that you think have the best shot, or is it maybe somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Michigan's the alley-oop dunk uh, mm -hmm. answer because seven straight games against field teams. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And Wisconsin, right. a team they're directly in competition with twice. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, that's a no-brainer. But I, I do want to bring one out of the woodworks that might, might be off the radar for some, and that's the Utah Utes. Um, Utah still has, um, beginning next week, two trips to the desert. So, again, it's just all about opportunity remaining. Uh, they'll play both the Cats and the Devils, which would be tremendous road wins for Utah. And then they host the LA schools, both also in the field yeah. uh, the week, the following weekend. Um, and with two games with Colorado mixed in, the road game at Colorado is definitely a, a tough place to win. I think both games will be tough for Utah. Uh, but you look at where the Utes are today. Uh, right now, they're just falling short in terms of their quadrant measurements. But they can anchor with that Arizona win that they already got, a game that I was at. Um, and, and so if they can build, like if they sweep Arizona or if they have a profile that has Arizona and UCLA, and maybe mix in a USC and an Arizona State. I think it, I think it quickly gets really interesting for the Utes. Hmm. Um, and, and one other one, I'll fire your way just because I was just there on Tuesday night. Um, my boys over in uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Yeah, uh, they're they're still about ninth or tenth out 
they obviously have some stuff to work with. They, you know, they don't play a lot of defense. They're well, ideally going to figure that out in the next couple of weeks. But next week's a huge week for them. The last real shot they have on their schedule, back-to-back road games at NC State, at Miami. If somehow the Deeks can sweep next week, I think they're right back in the, in the heart of the picture. So uh, just keep your eye on those boys. Love it. Steve Forbes, Craig Smith, two of my favorite coaches in the country. would like to see both of them in the field. Uh, last question here before the chat. Brad, toughest team this year to seed so far, do you think? For me, I would say New Mexico. Um, I've kind of had them all over the place. They, they have strong numbers against Q1 and Q1 and 2. Um, they have wins at St. Mary's and at San Diego State, which are which are strong, very strong, but their predictive metrics are poor. Um, so it's it's kind of like a it's a balancing act. Uh, it seems they've been they have not been playing as well as of late, so they've been slipping down my board. I have them as a ten seed right now, um, and another loss. If they were to get a bad loss, they're for me they're probably in that last four in first four out conversation. So they do have work to do. Um, but I do think that those two wins at St. Mary's and at San Diego State are so strong when yeah. you compare them to other bubble teams. That's a difference maker that could get them in the field. At St. Mary's, I mean, unbelievable win right there. We know how hard that can be. Uh, Rocco, your toughest team. Is it New Mexico? Is it somebody else? Your thoughts? Yeah, I just, I'll just name what I was struggling with today. Um, it was NC State. Uh, you know, I, I like their profile in general. Their metrics are, are pretty good, I guess, overall. But I, I'm just having a tough, t- tough time because they haven't done, um, you know, quite that much on the road. Honestly, Kai, you know, the Wolfpack, they're sitting there, um, you know, with two wins against the field, both at home, both good wins. Uh, but overall, they're six and six against the top two quads. So I'm, I'm fumbling over, you know, putting them at a, as a high eight all the way down to maybe even a low 10. And that's like a range of 12 spots. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong, Pack fans. You guys are in the field right now. But I think they can do a lot of good if they can go out and get a road win. They don't have a bad loss, which really helps them. But again, much much like Auburn, I'm, I'm running into this with Auburn. I'm running into this with West Virginia. You know, teams that just haven't done a lot on the road, but their metrics are really strong. They're, they're tougher to see. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys, before we hit chat questions, please do hit the like button on the YouTube video. It really helps us out. I know we have a lot of people watching out there, so if you just take the one second, hit the like, greatly appreciated. Uh, all right, heading into chat questions. I'm sorry, I didn't write the names down for these questions, but uh, uh, they're good ones anyways. Uh, Brad, Florida Atlantic, we've been asked about what's their margin for error as an at-large team. Say so they don't win the Conference USA Conference Tournament. What do you think their margin for error is? Yeah, I mean, I think they can another, – another bad loss, I think they'll still get in. Um, depending how bad the loss is, uh, you know, their quadrant numbers are still strong. Um, I do currently have them as uh, a, num- a number eight seed. Um, they're two and one Q1. They're five and two Q1 and two. Their strength of record is top 20. So those metrics are, are great um, yeah. for a team out of that league. Absolutely. Um, I think they can afford another loss and still get in that large bid. Two more losses. They're going to be last four in la- first four out, in my opinion. Rocco, you get a uh, a detailed question because it's Jim Root, of course, asking right, here. How close can Villanova get if they go 17 and 14 in the regular season, make the Big E semifinals, so there'd be 18 and 15. They'd be eight and five with Justin Moore, plus several Q1 wins in that stretch. 
Villanova, a team kind of off the radar right now. What do you think? Yeah, so I mean, I just got to do a quick comparison. I mean, right now, what's left for Villanova? We'll start there. They get a chance to go to Providence. They get a chance to go to Xavier and go to Seton Hall and host Connecticut and host Creighton. So there wow. you go. Right now, they're zero and eight against Quad One. Let's make that clear. <laughs> and and, and yeah. in the top two, they they are two and eleven. Um, so it's not pretty. And they've got two Q three losses when you factor in Portland and DePaul. So yeah, yeah Jim, I, I love the question. Uh, right now, the resume metrics, just for just to tell you where we're starting from, 112th in the strength of record, 124th in KPI. So, Holy moly. Yeah, they, they've got a long ways to go. Obviously, some of those things will start to shoot up if they get these wins, theoretically. Yep. I love Villanova's sleeper potential to bid steal in the garden uh, come March. But, man, I mean, if, if all that happens, we love playing what if. They're certainly going to get a, a deep look. I just don't know if they have enough runway. It's really kind of interesting yeah. but it, I, I don't know if they have enough i didn't realize how dire their current resume is that's uh when you yeah. put it like that it doesn't sound like they have a great shot uh brad one of my they, favorite they can't get rid of that yeah no they cannot no it stays with them yes the stink stays on them uh this is actually one of my favorite questions every year i like to get people's opinions on this and rock i can get yours as well when you look at q1 wins are you more of an opportunity guy as in percentage of wins based on how many teams you played in quadrant one or are you more straight up uh, quantity? So a team is five and 10 Q1 versus a team that goes three and two in Q1. Who do you tend to favor in that situation? No, I, I, I think you have to look deeper into it. You know, who are those wins against? Because a quad one win, you know, right now could be at Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's no, is not making the tournament. Um, yeah. So I think you really need to dig deeper and figure out how many of those wins are against NCAA tournament teams against at-large teams. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I normally go one way or the other. It's just breaking down into the nitty gritty and, and, and figuring out who's got the better wins and how many of those wins are not, are, are, are frauds basically. Um, and you could, you could say that about certain teams like, you know, maybe a team like Boise State, who who Rocco had discussed earlier, they don't have that many t- wins um, against the field. Uh, and when you're when you're on the bubble and you're being compared against other teams, who have you beaten? Um, and I think they have. Uh, you know, in, in that scenario, they are seven and four against Q one and two opponents, which is good. Um, but you just have to keep looking deeper and, and figure out who who were those wins against. Rocco, your take on that one? Uh, yeah, I'm right there with Brad. I think the first thing I do in the exercise every time I redo a team's profile um, is count up all their wins against the field. And uh, that's before I even make it to the Q1 column. Um, and and again, like I, I, I do think your question has merit, Kai, because like if I'm trying to compare, you know, a Mountain West team or even Florida Atlantic to a Power 5 team with just a ton of data, um, you know, it's hard. It's like, you know, like Florida Atlantic one at Florida. How much does that mean uh, compared to Wisconsin, who's like you know four and eight in the same games? It, it's mm-hmm. it's a tough comparison. So you really you're gonna have to go deeper no matter what uh, in those scenarios. Now, if you get a you know if you get a team like a, from a Big Ten team and a Big Twelve team with a ton of data, and you know they beat the same amount of tournament teams somehow, and you know then then I think you know your record against top two, top three starts to stand out. Now, if it is at the top of the board. That's a, that's an even better question because at the top of the board, much like the reason why both Brad and I gave Arizona one uh, a one seed today, is because they have five top 
quad one a wins, whereas nobody else does. And so that's where the quantity can really come into play. But uh, every different part of the board has the different things you're looking for. I love it. I love it. I love it. We had a different question on Miami, Miami ceiling in terms of seating. I have, they've been playing quite well lately. Uh, Brad ceiling for Miami. What do you think? Currently have them as my top five seed. Um, they they have a nice resume. I think they could use um, a win away from home against a quality win away from home. I think that'll help them. I don't think I see them getting higher than a four seed, to be honest with you. Um, mm. There's just too many teams that they would have to pass, especially yeah. those big 12 teams that not many people are going to pass because somebody's going to be winning games. Um, so I would say a four seed is probably their ceiling. Yeah. If I'm looking at their yeah. schedule too, not a whole lot of great opportunities the rest of the way, the ACC being the way it is this season. Uh, Rocco, how about Iowa State versus Kansas State? Two upstart teams, surprising teams in the Big 12 this season. I think they're pretty close to each other right now on the seed lines by most people's uh, uh, opinion. Where do you stand on both teams? How do you compare the two? Yeah, uh, so I, I think right now Kansas State's a three for me. Uh, fighting to get up to a two along with Baylor uh, and Iowa State has slipped into a four seed situation. They keep swinging back from four to three right. for me. Uh, but I think the biggest difference is you got to start with road damage. Um, Kansas State's won at Texas. They've won at Baylor. It's pretty amazing road wins for the for the Wildcats. Uh, whereas Iowa State, they do have a really nice road win at TCU. But after that, there's nothing against the field on the road. Their best neutral win is UNC, who may or may not be a tournament team at this juncture. Um, so advantage Kansas State big time there. Kansas State also added a neutral win over Nevada down at the uh, Paradise Jam, yep. I believe it was. So, you know, then you look at the, uh, the, the, the further metrics. Iowa State's lost seven games. Uh, Kansas State's lost five. In, in the first quadrant, um, all, all of Iowa State's losses were in that quadrant. So certainly not bad losses or anything. But, you know, when you're, when you're going for those elite seeds, one, two, three line, you know, you've got to win the majority of your games right now. Iowa State's just an average team in those 14 opportunities. Brad, uh, a question about St. Mary's two Q3 losses. How much do you think those two losses hurt them? We know their computer numbers are off the charts, um, top 10 in Kempom right now. But how much do you think that holds them back, those two losses? I, mean, I think it hurts them a little bit. Um, not a whole lot. Fortunately, they're not Q4 losses. Um, and if you look up and down the field, so many teams have Q3, and there's a lot of teams that have Q4 losses this year. Um, having two stands out a little bit, um, but for the most part, I don't think it's killing them. They are still, even after last night's loss um, to Loyola Marymount, um, they're still a five seed for me. As you had mentioned, they're still top 10 in the net. I mean, their their metrics are are insane. Um, uh, it's It's kind of not it's kind of not the norm with St. Mary's in their history. Yeah. They've always been a team that that has struggled with the metrics portion of it, but that's clearly been figured out. Um, so I don't think the the Q the two Q two losses really affects them a whole lot. Yeah, Randy scheduled a little bit better this year, Rocco. Uh, yeah. I think he figured out his non conference. I think this season. I've, I've uh, not done his. I've not done his door enough times, Kai. It's finally, work, <laughs> it's finally working out. No, no more non-conference strength of schedule of 300 and beyond for St. Mary's. That's right. Uh, uh, final question in the chat here, Rocco. Purdue, how many losses can they withstand uh, to, to stay on that one seed line? I think you mentioned, or maybe it was Brad at the beginning of the show, 
Purdue and Alabama are pretty much the consensus top two right now. Purdue yep. being number one. It is a long way to go to the two seed to the two line, uh, or, or is it closer than we think? I think it could start being closer than you think if they start losing some of the games they have coming up. Their next two are at Northwestern, at Maryland, so not impossible. Mm-hmm. To, uh, you know, those are both tournament teams. They they could lose both. Once, once they start hitting, you know, right now they only have two losses, right? So they're extremely strong from a mm-hmm. quantity of losses standpoint. But once they start piling up losses, they get up to four or five total. Um, you have to continuously reevaluate. There's also going to be constant opportunities for Kansas and Texas. If yeah. either of those teams get hot, that's going to put the pressure on the rest of the ones right now uh, to continue performing. Um, same goes for Alabama. Now, Purdue, you know, they've got the eight tournament level wins in the bag today. Three amazing neutral wins with Gonzaga, Duke, and West Virginia. Uh, but again, Purdue hasn't actually beat like another number one seed. The best win um, out away from West Lafayette was the Gonzaga win. So um, I don't think they have this invincible resume that makes them 100% a one seed by any means. They have six games to go. Um, all of them are pretty competitive. They'll, they'll host Indiana, of course, in a revenge scenario. Uh, they'll host Illinois on the final day, and they got a tricky one at Wisconsin who's going to be fighting for their lives uh, on March 2nd. So, um, yeah, Purdue still has probably has to get at least four of those six and, and, and yeah, maybe maybe five, but I, I'd say at least four. Uh, Brad, one last question here at the buzzer. UCLA's chances of being in the West region. So UCLA is basically their chance at overtaking one of these teams for a one seed. I think they have a chance to take over take Arizona over problem with UCLA is just looking at their resume. They still only have one high quadrant one win and they're under 500 against Q1 teams. So while their metrics are still very, very strong, you'd look, you dig deeper and, you know, we've all seen UCLA play. They're a team that can make a deep run for sure, but the numbers just aren't there yet. Um, I think they can get there, but it's going to be, it's going to be pretty difficult um, for them to surpass Arizona, uh, in, in my mind, um, but not impossible by any means. Uh, finally, let's finish off with some games to watch this week, uh, games that might impact the bubble or even some uh, auto bid uh, circumstances here. So UCLA is heading to Oregon. We've mentioned a couple of times we saw Oregon guys in our, in our first four out. I believe both of you had them there. Um, UCLA clearly trying to get Another Q1 win. I believe Oregon falls in that category right now, if I'm remembering correctly. Oregon's net. I know it's pretty close. Yeah, they're 50, they're yep. 50, I think. Okay, yep. so, yeah, they're safe. Uh, Mississippi State heads to Arkansas. Again, Mississippi State right on that cut line as well. Arkansas trying to stay in the field. Pretty safe for now, we agree. Clemson, North Carolina, we talked about it already. Huge game in the ACC. Indiana heads to Michigan. Indiana guys, they're shooting up the seed line right now too. I I believe four seed for you, Brad, right now. Uh, or they're actually five? five seed for me. But yeah, I mean the way they've been playing the last few weeks, they're a totally different team. You know, obviously the expectations for Indiana coming into the season, you know, were were to be in the Final Four uh, by a lot of people. Um, yep. Started off rough, but yes. they have clearly turned the corner. Got a nice win over Rutgers this week, um, and they're moving in the right direction. Do you give them more credit if Xavier Johnson comes back and they start playing even better? If they, if they start playing better, it's going to start playing better. How they yeah. play, I think. Right. Um, there's a lot of teams that, that have injuries. Now the committee will watch, you know, the, the last few weeks of the season, how do they play with, with those injuries mm-hmm. um, without a key starter uh, in their lineup? So it's, even if you are a team that's already a lock in the field, they're watching you because it, it could affect your seed. 
And then finally, we have Southern Utah at Utah Valley. A little whack battle right now. Uh, winner of this game takes over first place, I, I believe. Right. Rocco, you're more of a whack guy. I am. Well, I threw that one in there. That was all me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the, so the T-Birds, you know, they've been playing hard all year. Um, they they smoked uh, Utah Valley the first time, which caught a lot of people mm. off guard. I think they beat by 12. Now this one is going to be in Orem. Um, so if, you, if you're paying attention to these 12 to 16 seeds, um, there's a couple games like this. I, th- I know next Thursday, Liberty will play Kennesaw State in a battle for first. Yeah. Uh, there's just such great atmospheres. Last, last night, we had Louisiana Southern Miss. It was incredible. Yes. Fifth, large, fifth largest cl- crowd in Southern Miss history. Um, so, again, I know uh, the, the, the high major fans in here may not get a chance to see these guys play until the tournament. But if you get a chance, turn on Southern Utah, Utah Valley. They'll be going hard. And Southern Utah, if they get that sweep, will be the WAC representative in next Monday's bracket. Is it out of the realm of possibilities for Southern Miss to get net large? It is now, I would say. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I just don't think there's enough teams they can beat besides Louisiana that, mm-hmm. uh, off the top of my head at least, that that moves the needle enough. They have a great yeah. net, like they're up to fifty three today for for a team in their situation, twenty two yeah. and twenty two and four. You know, if they win out and lose the title game, I think they'll probably land uh, twenty eight wins, twenty seven wins. Yeah, it might be worth a conversation for sure, but I just yeah. I still think they get snubbed. I, my heart's broken from North Texas last year, and I've kind of just yeah. given up hope on some of these you know teams that that get hot and in these types of leagues. Was that the record last year for most wins left out North Texas? Uh, no, no, actually the St. Mary's year you mentioned they had twenty eight wins that year. There's been a couple, yeah, they, there's been a couple twenty eights that didn't get let in over yeah. the years. Yeah, tough. Oh, don't worry. They'll expand the field to 120 teams sooner or later. I think uh, what it boils down to, if you're if you're a mid-major school, yeah, yeah. you got to get these. You got to get a win in non-conference play that yep. stands out. And is it fair? No, no, it's it's not fair. Um, but you got to make sure you schedule properly and steal one. Um, and unfortunately, if you if you don't, it's going to be really difficult to to get in that large bid. Yeah, yeah, and I I can tell you this, like these teams try their butts off to get games and they still can't. Oh, it's hard. It gets harder and harder every year. You know, every time a Florida Atlantic beats a Florida like this year, the less you'll see it in the future. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And and Brad, you, you gave the perfect answer because you know, that's exactly what the selection committee is going to say. We've heard it forever, Um, but it's sad. And I wish there was a scheduling governance bot model that everybody had to follow. I know Goodman's talked about that a lot too. Yep. Uh, real quick on the WAC, Southern Utah, Utah Valley. I don't think either team has made the tournament before. Am I right? Uh, I believe – I think you are. I can't think of a time I, either team was I, I love new teams in the dance. I'm hoping one of those one of those two makes it. Always been a Thunderbird guy. Love the nickname. Hey, that does it for the for Fielding the 68, presented by Bet Rivers. We thank you for joining us. We're back on Monday with another great episode. Monday and Friday is our cadence. The full bracket, the consensus bracket from – the fielding six fielding six fielding the 68 guys will be released after the show on the field of 68 Twitter handle. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Check that out. We'll see you next time. Have a great mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch. She can wear every day from movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. 
Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrists and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.